We're going to start into a new book study today, the book of Hosea. So if you'll take your Bibles and join me in the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea and the 11 books that follow it round out the Old Testament. We're looking at the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And Hosea is the first of these final 12 books, which are all known as the Minor Prophets. So the last 12 books of your Old Testament are referred to as the Minor Prophets. Now, they are called Minor not because they are less important than the major prophets. It's not like, you know, like the, we have minor league prophets and we have major league prophets and the minor league prophets just qu- quite weren't good enough to play with the major league prophets. It's not like that. It's not like baseball. It's, they're called minor prophets because in general, the books of the minor prophets are shorter and the messages more succinct. That's why they're called the minor prophets versus some of the major prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. So uh, Hosea here starts the first of the 12 minor prophets, which make up the the last of the Old Testament books. Uh, Because each of these minor prophets are shorter, the books, and and more succinct, the messages, uh, they are more easily summarized. For that reason, I'm going to be taking a summary approach to all these 12 books. We're going to look at one book every Sunday, and then we'll close out the Old Testament in you know, roughly 12 weeks or so. We have the, the holidays in between, so it'll probably be more like 14 weeks, and then we'll be right into the New Testament in the, in the book of Matthew come, come in a couple months. But we'll be looking at one of these books per Sunday, and today is the book of Hosea. So a little background on Hosea himself and the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea's name in Hebrew is Hashia, which means salvation. Uh, so the English transliteration is Hosea, but in Hebrew he would have been called Hashia or Hashia, meaning salvation. His ministry spans a period of about 40 years, from the years 755 to 715 BC, roughly. Uh, and and this book is not in chronological order. So when you, as, as is the case for most of the minor prophets, when you go from the book of Daniel to the book of Hosea, you're not, you're not in chronological order. In fact, Hosea's ministry preceded Daniel. Daniel wasn't even born for about 130 years. And so we're going backwards in time. And thus the, the message of Hosea, his life and his ministry occurs between 2 Kings 14 and 20. So, you know, in 2 Kings 14 and 20, in the margin of your Bible, you might want to write, here's where Hosea ministered. Uh, That's the time period in which he ministered. We know that because at the beginning of his book here, he talks about the various kings who were reigning at the time of his ministry. Now, interestingly, uh, we don't hear him quoted anywhere between 2 Kings 14 and 20. We just know uh, in terms of chronology that that's where his ministry is located. His voice is only heard here in his book. Uh, and then he's quoted a couple times by Paul in Romans, and he's quoted by Jesus and, and by Matthew. Matthew makes a connection to the book of Hosea in, in Matthew's gospel. But otherwise, he's not mentioned anywhere outside of his own book. And he was a contemporary of Isaiah the prophet. Hosea ministered to the northern kingdom of Israel at the same time that Isaiah was ministering to the southern kingdom of Judah. So they were contemporaries. And just to kind of frame the culture uh, at the time of Hosea's ministry, two things that stand out when you look at the book of Hosea. It was a time of spiritual apostasy because of unholy priests. 
And it was also a time of social disintegration because of unrighteous kings. That is the culture. It's not too unlike our own culture where there's a spiritual apostasy because some are, are not really being, you know, true to the word and true to the Lord in terms of, you know, ministry. And we have, you know, sometimes uh, corrupt kings and people and leadership and government. And, and as a result, sometimes it can lead to social disintegration. And the result of which was that there was a lack of the knowledge of God in the land at the time that Hosea ministered. The combination of, of the unholy priests and the unrighteous kings, no one was telling people about the Lord during this time. And thus, where there was this lack of knowledge, the people were perishing. That becomes one of the most famous verses in the book of Hosea. Hosea 4, verse 6 said, where my people are destroyed or perish for lack of knowledge. Now, he didn't mean for a lack of education, like just the accumulation of information. He meant a lack of knowledge about the Lord, and thus my people perish for a lack of it. So the people of God were in a state of spiritual apostasy. The, socially, there was just this moral disintegration, and it was all due to the fact that God's Word was not being taught. The people were not hearing about the Lord. They were not being equipped in their faith. They were not being told, here's, here's who God is, and here are His righteous requirements. Thus, God calls Hosea as his prophet. I want you to minister. I want you to prophesy, speak to this, the northern kingdom of Israel. And to awaken the conscience of a nation, God is going to call Hosea to do a very unusual thing in order to illustrate God's relationship with the Jewish people. Somewhat a broken relationship, but nevertheless, God's going to tell Hosea, I want you to do something here, and it's very unusual. You'll see it as we read through the first chapter. I'm going to read all of chapter 1. It's only 11 verses, but follow along in your Bibles if, if you would. Verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry. Now, a wife of harlotry, this is a prostitute. I want you to marry a prostitute and take children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to him, call his name, the boy's name, Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I'll save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle by horses or horsemen. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Ruamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. And I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. 
And then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Let's pause there and pray. Father, it's good to be in your house and to just begin our week by uh, settling our hearts before you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness, your patience. Lord, we lack the vocabulary to just express all the many words that describe you, your greatness, your majesty, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the opportunity here to meet and to worship. Pray that you'd use your word now to minister to our hearts. Draw us near to you, Lord. Whatever difficulty we carried in here, we pray that you would lighten our load, be our burden bearer. Whatever sin we came in here with, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us, cleanse our hearts. Whatever anxious thought, whatever thing that weighs us down, we pray, Lord, we would leave here knowing we've been in the house of the Lord. So minister to us. We're needy, hungry, thirsty people. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you that you fill us up. Fill us up afresh today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, the covenant of marriage has always served to be an illustration of God's relationship with us and likewise our relationship with Him. In the Old Testament, marriage primarily serves to illustrate God's relationship with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel. There are many verses in the Old Testament that speak in these allegorical terms of a marriage that God has with the people of Israel. I'll give you a few verses as examples. Isaiah 54 verse 5 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. In Isaiah 62, verse 5, it says, And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Jeremiah 3, verse 14, it says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. So the Old Testament paints a picture often using marriage in terms of God's relationship with Israel and the Jewish people. In the New Testament, God also uses marriage as an illustration to communicate uh, the relationship of Christ with the church. And so you have, for example, in the Bible, examples out of Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. It says, then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now he's talking about himself as the groom, as the bridegroom. He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So see, even Jesus uses the, this illustration of marriage. He says, I'm, I'm like a, the groom and, and the church is, is the bride. And so one day I'm going to be taken away. Then, then when I'm away, the church will fast. They will pray. They will seek me. You see also in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, the whole parable of the 10 virgins is a parable of Christ coming again for his bride. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses similar terminology in, cha- in chapter 5 of Ephesians verses 31 and 32 where he says, For this reason, quoting from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
And then, of course, a famous verse out of Revelation 19, verse 7, which says, Let us be glad and rejoice for and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride, the church, has made herself ready. So all throughout Old Testament and New Testament, God often uses the covenant of marriage as this illustration but, uh, but, uh, in regards to his relationship with us and us with him. But everybody understands, particularly everybody who's married, understands that every marriage has its difficulties. Amen. It's okay to say that. It's in church like, can I say that? Can I admit that? Yeah, you can admit it. Every marriage has, diff- except mine, but every marriage has, mine included, has difficulties, challenges, you know, people trying to understand each other, different personalities, different perspectives, all right, and, and let alone the, the male-female dynamic and different language and stuff that, you know, men don't speak femaleese, women don't necessarily speak mannies, you know, and so there's always this kind of difficulty and challenges every once in a while. And, and so it is uh, in, in this relationship here in the book of Hosea. There's a marriage illustration here that God wants to use to communicate his relationship with the Jewish people. But there are challenges in the relationship. The marriage is broken. And it's not because God's done anything wrong. God hasn't done anything wrong. It's because the people have been unfaithful to him. They have, in a sense, committed adultery against God because they've had other loves instead of God in their lives. And so God says to Hosea, basically this, I want to use marriage as an illustration to communicate to the people about my love for them despite their unfaithfulness towards me. So he asks Hosea to do a very unusual thing. God says, Hosea, listen, in order to illustrate this point about my loyal love to the people, but their constant unfaithfulness towards me, here's what I want you to do, Hosea. Here's what I want you to do. This is what God says to Hosea. I want you to marry a prostitute. Now, Hosea is a single guy, you know, and he's he's like, and God says to him, here, let me introduce you to your wife, the town hooker. I want you to marry her. And Hosea's like, what? I, I, I'm not sure this is the kind of girl I wanted to bring home to meet mom and dad. And God's like, trust me on this. I want to introduce you to a fine woman that everybody knows in town. And I want you to marry her. And so he marries one. He marries a prostitute. And you know what's worse than marrying a prostitute? is marrying a prostitute whose name is Gomer. She's from Mayberry. Some of you are too young to understand that joke, but here she is. Her name is Gomer. That's her name. And God says to Hosea, I want you to take her home. I want you to love her. I want want you to have her as your wife. Now, in any culture, I don't care what country you're from, in any culture, a prostitute has a reputation for being an immoral woman. You know, sex for pay is is not really the most honorable profession. I mean, it might be the oldest profession, but it's not necessarily the most honorable profession. So don't you know, of course, when God says, obviously God knows what he's doing here. And so he's like, I want you to marry Gomer. I want you to take her home as your wife. Of course, when he does that, 
Everybody in town, their heads are turning. They're like, what? And their, thumb, their thumbs are working. Like, did you just see who Hosea had? And they're basically aghast. They're like, this, this holy man of God, this prophet of God. I can't believe this. This prophet of God, this holy man of God has taken an adulterous, immoral prostitute. This woman, I can't believe this. How in the world could this happen? That such a holy man of God could take such an immoral, adulterous woman. And God's basically saying, in the same way that I've taken you. That's the illustration, you see. In the same way that I've loved you and taken you. God wanted this marriage between Hosea and Gomer to illustrate his loyal love despite their spiritual adultery. That despite their unfaithfulness to God, God would be faithful to them and he would love them and he would take them to be his own. Hosea and Gomer marry. They have three children. The text tells us there in chapter 1, two boys and a girl. And with each child's birth, God says, I want to give you the name so that this becomes a whole family illustration. I want the names of your kids to also illustrate this relationship that I have with the Jewish people. So look in your Bibles there at chapter 1, verse 4. You can circle in your Bibles Jezreel. That's the first child that's born. It's a son. His name in Hebrew, Jezreel, means God scatters. That's what the word means in Hebrew. God scatters. And it's because, he goes on to say there, because I'm going to scatter the people. Now, God ends up doing this. 721 B.C., the Assyrian Empire comes. Remember, the book of Hosea precedes the book of Daniel, chronologically. Again, Hosea ministers about 130 years before Daniel's even born. So when we were last week finishing out the book of Daniel, the the prominent power was the Babylonian Empire. But before the Babylonians were the Assyrians. And God will use the Assyrians in 721 BC to besiege the northern kingdom of Israel. And so God says to, to Hosea, I want you to name your first child Jezreel, meaning God scatters because this is exactly what I'm going to do. Their unfaithfulness warrants it. I'm going to scatter the people. Child number two comes in verse six. It's a, it's a girl. God says, I want you to name her Lo Ruama. Lo Ruama. Lo in Hebrew is no. So when used as a prefix here, it's, it's just the negative. And Ruama means mercy. So he's saying no mercy. That's what I want you to name child number two. Now, by the way, you know, weren't you very careful when you picked names for your kids, right? When you had your babies and you were very careful to, you know, go through those baby book lists and just, we want to pick the perfect name for our child. And, and what do you instantly do? You eliminate names of people you never got along with in life, right? Because you're like, I, I, I can't stand that guy I worked with. That child's never going to get that guy's name, right? You go through that whole boyfriends and girlfriends off the list, former ones, right? Off the list. And you're very careful about names that you want to choose for your kids because names say a lot. And I, I really appreciate how some of you have chosen beautiful biblical names for your kids. 
you're very spiritual. And, I, and I'm just telling you, it's wonder. I've seen families here at Cornerstone. You have like a walking gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, it's just, that's wonderful. Terry and I weren't so spiritual when we picked the, picked the names for our kids. We just, you know, we just picked names that we liked. And, and we gave them Bible middle names. But all three of our kids, just Tyler, Austin, and Lindsay. That's just, we just liked those names when we had them as kids. Now, since then, I found out, right? I mean, I already knew... Austin was, but I didn't realize the other one. They're all towns in Texas. <laughs> Had I known in advance, I would never have wanted to send a message that somehow we're cowboy fans. So probably I would have, I would have gone with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But anyway, you know how it is. You're very careful. By the way, if we ever had a fourth kid, we were, we were going to name him or her Waco didn't happen. Didn't happen. But you know how that works. Like you're very careful. We want to. So can you imagine this little girl going around? Hi, what's your name, sweetheart? No mercy. That's my name. No mercy. Don't mess with me. I got no mercy. So that's how God, God says, I want you to call her no mercy because God says, I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. So I want your kids to, to present You know, the message here, this ongoing message, child number three comes along, verse nine. It's a boy. You are to name him Loami. And Loami means not my people. (laughs) That poor boy, (laughs) you know, it's just roll calls being called in class. Like, not my people. You hear? Yep. Right here. Not my people. Now, I, I, I shared this story a few years ago, but for those of you who weren't here, um, this, this whole name reminds me of this, of this thing that happened between me and Terry. Because as many of you know, I mean, it's no secret. I've, I've made this known clearly over the years that I've been here at Cornerstone. I'm not a country music fan, all right? That's just me. I'm not a country music fan. I know a lot of you have tried to convert me over the years. Hasn't happened. Not going to happen. I'm, I'm just not a country music fan. It's just me. Okay. But my wife, she, she kind of likes country music. Um, not, you know, not a diehard country music fan, but every once in a while I'll get in her car and start it up and WMZQ is like, ah, 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 you know. And, and so, you know, years ago, like, this is about like seven, eight years ago, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the, the manly thing. I'm going to man up and I'm going to take my wife for her birthday to a country music concert. That's what I yeah, thank you very much. Say, there's some lady there. That's really nice. Do you listen to him? Listen to him. Are you listening to him? He did that for his wife. Isn't that sweet? Anyway, so I took her to a Keith Urban concert. Now, Keith Urban was good because he's not twangy. See, the twangy thing really gets on my nerves. You know, twang, 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 you know. So he was actually really good. But when we first got there, this is over at Meriwether Post Pavilion. So when we got there, I'm looking around at the people. I'm like, man, every guy's got on either a John Deere baseball cap or cowboy hat. And everybody's got on cowboy boots and ladies are walking around with sleeveless flannel shirts, unbuttoned a little bit in both directions and tied at the midriff. They got long neck, ice cold beer that never broke anybody's heart. That's they're carrying around in their hands. They got. They got straw between their teeth. I looked around the crowd. I said, Terry, Terry. I said to my wife, Terry, these are not my people. Low on me. 
low, low on me. These are not my people. She looks straight at me. She says, what are you talking about? All of your relatives are from West Virginia. These are your people. She was true. It was true. She was right. It's true. I can't deny it. Well, back to our story here. The illustration here gets even more poignant because here's what happens. Hosea marries Gomer, a prostitute. They have three kids. And then his wife, she decides to abandon her husband and her kids and to go back into prostitution. Chapter 2, if you look in your Bibles at chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, God says, now I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, to my first love. For then it was better for me than now. So she returns to her life of prostitution, but God makes it hard for her there in verse 6. He says, I'll I'll hedge up your way with thorns. I'm going to make it difficult for you. Now, at some point, any man or any woman, if the illustration were reversed, would say, enough is enough. I mean, God, you've asked me to marry this prostitute. Okay, I've done that. We've had kids. Now she's left me and the kids and gone back into prostitution. I'm done with her. I'm done. That would be a normal reaction that anybody would have if if, if this were, were, were their lives. But God says to Hosea, I want you to go after her. I want you to buy her out of prostitution. I want you to take her home, forgive her, and love her. Go on. I want you to go after her. Chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 in your Bibles. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Hosea says in verse 2, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half omers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. In other words, he's saying, Be faithful to me. I'll be faithful to you. Don't go live in this life again. I bought you back. You're mine. I love you. I forgive you. And he takes her back. Now, as a side note, this is completely a side note to the points I'm about to make from this story, but it is a side note that I felt like in the, in the course of preparing for today's teaching that the Lord wanted me to mention, I don't know who it might be for, just pray about it, take it or leave it. God might be speaking to someone here today about taking back a cheating spouse rather than divorcing him or her. Adultery is a biblical grounds for divorce. It is. But God does not necessarily 
encourage people to exercise that clause as the first option. Sometimes God calls us to do the more difficult thing, to forgive and to take back. Now, depending on the circumstances, and I say this very gently because some circumstances just make it plainly too difficult to take someone back. Perhaps because this is multiple, multiple times, and so it's like, when is this ever ending? Perhaps the person is not really repentant or humble about it, and so how can you really restore a relationship with someone who's not sorry? There could be a variety of factors, and I, and I understand that, and I, and I want to you know, clearly state that. But I've also seen in relationships where God's grace has allowed people to have a deeper marriage on the other side of it because there was grace and forgiveness. So, again, it it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes betrayal is just simply too painful. Um, But it's it's obviously a, a point in this whole story of how God took back the adulterous people in the same way that he says to Hosea, go after your adulterous wife, forgive her and take her home. It may not be for anybody, just pray about it, but it is something I felt like was worth mentioning that the Lord just had burdened my heart to say. Now, moving on, that's just as an aside. As much as the book of Hosea, in its context, illustrates the relationship of God with the Jewish people, the parallel is too broad to be missed even for us. And I want to share quickly three points from this story that is important for us to take home as as the takeaway from the book of Hosea. The first is this, like Gomer, we are guilty of unfaithfulness to God. We're all like, like her. Every one of us has been unfaithful to God at some point. And I don't mean at some point in our lives, I mean at some point in our day. At some point in every day, We're being unfaithful to God because sometimes we love ourselves more than we love God. Sometimes we serve ourselves more than we serve God. Sometimes we value ourselves and other people and our stuff more than we value God. We commit a a spiritual adultery all the time. That's why in that hymn of our faith, come thou fount of every blessing, which we sing once in a while, there's that line in there, maybe you've been troubled by it, there's a line in there where the writer of the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Because there's a little bit in all of us, like Gomer, that wants to please self and flesh and our own desires and wishes and aspirations and not really value God and esteem God and adore God the way that we should. But in that same hymn, we are also reminded with these words that Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell. The hymn writer was saying, I can't even tell you. I don't have the words to express to you how much God has gone after me. Even though in my flesh I'm prone to wander, God nevertheless in his love has pursued me. Which is point number two from this story. That God never stops loving us. He takes an active role in pursuing us. 
In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. Let me make it clear. God never condones our sin. In fact, He hates our sin. But He never stops loving us. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you or led you with cords of kindness. His love for us is not conditional on how we behave. He loves us despite sometimes our bad behavior. You know, think of it this way. If you're a parent, you understand. You may not like the behavior of your kids from time to time, but you don't stop loving them for misbehaving. You may be grieved as they get older. You may be grieved about the decisions that they make. You can't always make every decision for them. And you might be brokenhearted over the bad and sinful choices that they make. But you don't stop loving them. There may be consequences that your kids experience because of their bad decisions. Their poor choices. And loving parents give loving discipline to a child. But you don't stop loving them. In fact, careful discipline is an expression of love. And the same is true with us and God. God is brokenhearted and grieved when we make bad and sinful decisions. He's grieved over our rebellion against Him, over our unfaithfulness. But He doesn't stop loving us. There may, of course, be natural consequences for our sins. Things that happen as a result of our poor choices and sinful decisions. God, in fact, in addition to that, may even impose discipline on us. Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says that God disciplines those whom He loves. If you're being disciplined by God, consider it a badge of honor. Because it means that God loves you enough to not allow you to be as you are. God is a disciplinarian, a loving Father. Correcting us, admonishing us. Because He loves us too much to allow us to remain as we are. And if we oppose God, he will oppose us. Just as he did with Gomer there, back in chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, when she returns to this life of prostitution, it says that he hedged her up. He hedged her way around her with thorns. It's just, it's, it's metaphorical language. It's basically saying, you go ahead and you do this, but you're going to find that this is a thorny journey. You're going to be miserable. And indeed she was. She got to the place where she got to the bottom of herself, and she ended up admitting That she needed to return to her husband, to her first love, because she had it better off with him than this miserable life that she had gone back to. And God says in chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. That word allure means to persuade. God goes after the people. And he says to Hosea, go after your wife. And it's the same thing that God does with us. But sometimes, number three, sometimes the wilderness is the only place we can really hear him. Because he said there, therefore, behold, I will allure her. In chapter 2, verse 14, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. See, sometimes we have to get to the bottom of ourselves before we will look up to God. We have to be in the wilderness. We have to really be in a mess before we realize our need for God and come full circle and surrender to God. When Gomer left her husband and kids to return to a life of prostitution, it was miserable for her. She got to the bottom of herself and she finally realized, I need to get back to my first love. And that's when God says to Hosea, go get her. Go get her. Go buy her out of prostitution. Forgive her. 
take her home and love her. And this is exactly what God the Father has done for every single one of us. He saw us in our sin, in our unfaithfulness. And he says to his only begotten son, go get her. Go get him. Spill your blood, die on a cross for their forgiveness. Love them and take them back. And some of you just simply need to hear loudly and clearly because you have been weighed down by a load of shame and guilt because of your unfaithfulness and sin against God. You just need to hear loudly and clearly that God loves you and he will take you back in a minute. He will take you back in a minute. God sent his son to pursue us in our unfaithfulness. We're all like Gomer, unfaithful to our first love. And God says, despite your unfaithfulness, I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to send my son to die for you because such is the love of our father. And so in closing this verse, I'll put up on the screen from chapter 1, the end of verse 10. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Because God will take you back. He will forgive you. He will love you. Even as John said in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Hosea doing a very difficult thing. But what an illustration to us. A man who loved a wayward woman, a prostitute, someone who was unfaithful. But he went after her. He bought her out of of the slavery of prostitution. And he took her back and he forgave her and he loved her. In a similar way, Lord, you did the same thing for us. You bought us out of the slavery of sin with the precious blood of Jesus. The purchase price was the blood of Jesus. You saw us in our unfaithfulness. You saw us as wayward men and women in rebellion against you. And you pursued us. Thank you that you never stop pursuing us. Lord, I pray for someone here or several people here today who have felt under such a weight of shame. They just need to hear You love us and you forgive us and you will take them back. I'm just going to pause in my prayer and I want to invite you with your heads bowed. If you you have felt really distant from God, not because God has left you, but because you have left your first love and the shame and the guilt of your sin or your past or whatever it might be has created this distance between you and the Lord. I just want to encourage you, run to him right now. Because he's been pursuing you and he loves you and he wants to forgive you and take you back. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer. If that if that's you, if that speaks to you, I just want to lead you in this prayer. Just pray this with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for running after me. I feel so ashamed. 
But I thank you, Jesus, that you died for all of my shame and guilt and sin. Forgive me, Lord. Take me back that I might have relationship and fellowship with you once again. And I trust you by faith based on this story from Hosea that you are the one who goes after us, forgives us and loves us and takes us back. Lord, receive me even as I have by faith received you as Lord and Savior. Take me back, Lord. Never for me to leave again. And Lord, for all of us, we just thank you and praise you that you are so patient with us and loving that no matter what we've ever done, though you might hate our sin, you love us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for being our loving Father who sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.